The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here today. I'm here today. I want to tell you that the podcast today is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my bonus code, KevinDC, and they will match your deposit halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. Um, there are some big events. Obviously, the NBA Game 6 tonight with uh, Milwaukee having a chance to close out uh, the Suns. That game tonight uh, is something that you could get a bonus on and bet on, uh, and maybe there will be a Game 7. I don't know if I like a side uh, in this game tonight. Uh, and then there are big uh, fights coming up in August. UFC 265 takes place the first week of August, and then you get Manny Pacquiao um, in mid-August in a fight. So my bookie will have all that stuff for you, leading you right into the NFL season uh, where all of the week one lines are already up and plenty of prop bets, as we discussed the other day, are up uh, as well. Go to my bookie at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. They'll match your deposit halfway, halfway up to a thousand dollars. Um, there was some news as there typically is after the radio show, um, ended this morning, Tommy. And I do want to get to how you're feeling. Cause I know you have a bit of a cold. Um, but I wanted to start with some NFL news. Um, Adam Schefter reported, uh, because we are close now. We've got teams where rookies are reporting today in Dallas veterans report tomorrow. So over the next week, we will have training camps open. And Aaron Rodgers, according to Schefter, turned down a two-year contract extension offer during the offseason. The deal would have tied uh, Rodgers to the Packers for five more seasons and made him the highest-paid quarterback and player in football. And according to Schefter, Rodgers turned it down. Um, So the team has... You know, according to Schefter, officially they have done their part on the money end to try to satisfy him with the highest paid um, contract offer uh, in the league, um, and he turned it down. I, you know, the only um, reasonable conclusion I think you can come to at this point is what I think most reasonable reasonable people have already come to the conclusion on, and that is he doesn't want to play there. 
He's pissed. He thinks he was wronged last offseason when they traded up to draft Jordan Love and didn't let him know. He wants to play somewhere else. I, I don't know whether or not he will play in Green Bay this year, if he'll show up for training camp when it starts here in a few days. But it's clear that it was not money. This wasn't sort of leverage. This wasn't bargaining. He doesn't want to play there. You know, considering we don't really know anything about what Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is thinking, let me just speculate this. I mean, because I, I understand why he would be offended that they drafted what he perceived as his replacement without even like letting him know they were going to do it or something like that. They have no obligation to do that. But it would be, be smart business to uh, keep your most important player informed about the position that he plays. I mean, in terms of transgressions, this is not a huge transgression. By a team. I mean, team. it's the kind of thing that you think, a year, like a year later, you think you would get over. You know, say, okay, they did it, you know, I'm going to keep that guy on the bench for the next five years, you know. So, I mean, at some point, you move past that. What I think could possibly happen is what has happened is I think he saw what Tom Brady did. I think he saw Brady left his comfort zone and went someplace else, dictated his terms, you know, and won someplace else and is more revered than ever now for what he's done. And I think Aaron Rodgers is taking a page from Tom Brady and saying, you know, this, this, this looks like a plan. Well, Brady did it on a torn MCL the entire season, too. Yes, um, yes. Of, all, of all things. I mean, you know, we, we never give that guy enough credit. I know it's, it's hard oh. to believe because he's Tom Brady. And, and people, you know, they look at him as the, the goody two-shoes, the pretty boy married to the model. I mean, but his toughness is legendary. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not the expert to say what it's like to play on a torn MCL. I do know that, you know, laterally there are issues and – you know, there's risk with a torn MCL where there isn't necessarily with a torn ACL, but you have no lateral movement ability with a torn ACL. I don't know what the – I just know this. A torn MCL typically keeps even the, the toughest of football players out for many, many weeks, sometimes a season after surgery. So yeah. he played on a torn MCL in a new place for the first time and played great, and they went to the Super Bowl and won it. You are right on Brady real quickly, because I'm going to move it back to Rodgers in a moment. Right. But I do think, um, and and part of it is just my perspective, because my perspective is lots of conversations with you know my sons and a lot of their friends. And for several years, you know, uh, my boys were like, no, 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 no. Aaron Rodgers is the greatest. I mean, come on. Patrick Mahomes, you know, in recent years. It's not Brady. We watched the games. Brady's benefited from being with Belichick and being on great teams and yada, yada, yada. I do think that there there are a lot of people that that watch Brady and say and say to themselves, you know, the way he does it isn't the way – that Mahomes does it, or Rodgers does it, or Elway did it, or, you know, even to a certain extent, not the way Montana or Marino did it. You know, it's similar to what the, the way Peyton did it, um, or, you know, for you, uh, Unitas did it. 
Um, but I do think sometimes, I think you're right. I think sometimes a conversation that at this point shouldn't be debatable is always debated. He's the greatest quarterback in the history of the league. Not only that, I mean, what he did in Tampa changes the entire oh, – it always changed. When you can do what you've done someplace else, replicate your success, to me that speaks to you. That speaks to your value. Right. And, and what he did to me, I mean, puts him over the top as the greatest football player of all time. Montana didn't do it. Peyton did do it, but Peyton really yes, doesn't did. get enough credit for doing it. And by the way, I think that that's reasonable. I think Denver's defense was largely responsible for that season and the win. I think if you go back and you look at the playoff games that Brady uh, that uh, Manning had that year, they were pretty decent. You know, he wasn't terrible. Um, you know, in leading them uh, to uh, to to that Super Bowl, but. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's one conversation for sure there's no debate on. The greatest winner of all time is Tom Brady. That's not debatable. In terms of the greatest quarterback of all time, I don't know. I think we've gotten to the point where it really is a conversation that's silly to have. It, I mean, it's not silly because it's fun to have, and everybody has strong opinions, especially about this position and about the players they loved. And for years, I was adamant, you know, and I'm talking about until maybe three, four, five years ago, before Brady won his fifth or whatever it was, that Elway was my number one, number one of all time. And I, it didn't matter to me whether or not, you know, somebody had more Super Bowl wins like Montana or or not. I watched Elway and I've watched all these guys and of all the guys I've watched, Elway was the guy. But eventually I was like, wait a minute, I can't, you, yeah. you can't do this anymore. This this yeah. this guy. Is it, it, the evidence is too overwhelming at some point. He's a seven-time Super Bowl champion, and let's just say that in at least five of the seven, probably, he was instrumental, if not absolutely, you know, paramount and the number one reason that they won it. And remember, they lost a couple too. You know, yeah. on and, I, and to, yeah, on on huge. Big plays. Yeah. He could have easily been a nine-time Super Bowl winner. I'm sorry. They lost three of them. What am I talking about? They lost yes. to Philly and the Giants. You know, yes. he's been – he's he started at quarterback in ten Super Bowl games. Ten. Um, and what he did in this – So, I mean, yeah. so, so what I, I've done is – I mean, Jim Brown has always been the number one, number one football player for me. I put Tom Brady ahead of him now. The best player in the history of the league, I think. I'll tell you what, the, playing on a torn MCL for an entire season and winning the Super Bowl is pretty damn impressive. Like, it's just another data point to add to it. But back to Rodgers for a moment, because yes. what, what you said, like he saw what Brady did, and maybe he wants to do it somewhere else is your point, right? Well, I just think, you know, maybe he saw that, you know, people always say the grass isn't greener on the other side. Right. Well, sometimes it is. Yeah. Well, sometimes. sometimes it's made out of gold, and there's a Super Bowl trophy in the middle of the grass somewhere. You know. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's... so I mean, but but the, the idea is, you know, be happy where you are. You don't know if you'll be happy someplace else. That's the common advice that's given. Brady blew that up. Look, the, the thing with Aaron Rodgers is 
you know, at this point, it's so obvious that he does not want to play for the Packers. Now, that may end up happening anyway because they refuse to trade him and he wants to play football and maybe somehow he's just like, okay, I'm going to get to this, you know, the end of this contract and then I'm going to move on. But he's coming off with Matt LaFleur, remember, as the head coach the last two seasons. They are 20... Washington football assistant. They, they are, everybody knows that. They are 26 and 6 and they've lost in back-to-back NFC Championship games. They were in the Final Four the last two years. Aaron Rodgers was last year's MVP. So the football situation in terms of the team, the coaching staff, his teammates, the success of the team, this isn't a guy that wants to move on to a much better team. This isn't a guy that wants to move on to a place where he's got a chance to win a Super Bowl. He's in a place that has a chance to win it all. And by the way, he's in one of the, you know, truly unique hotbed football situations of all time. He hates the people that he works for. I'm not talking about the coaching staff, Guten Kunst and Murphy. He hates them. He he does not trust them. I'm projecting here, but clearly I think the fact that he turned that down is another indication if you didn't know already he doesn't want to be a Packer anymore. So I, I don't know how what happens here, you know, over the next um, how many days before he's got a report. It's going to be fascinating to see, you know, if he reports when he's supposed to report. You know, it's almost too late. It's not, it's never too late. I mean, we've seen Wentz recently, you know, um, uh, not Wentz, um, uh, what's his face? Um, the Oklahoma quarterback, the number one pick in the draft, was with the Rams, and Wentz got hurt, and uh, the Eagles traded for him. Nick before. Foles. No, not Nick Foles. No. Um, oh, Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford. God damn, thank yeah. you. Sam Bradford <laughs> got traded You know, in the middle of training camp or right before training camp started. I forgot exactly. So it, it could happen. He could get traded to Denver. You know, Denver's pretty much the only team – I mean, it, actually, that's that's a stupid statement. Almost every team in the league should want to trade for Aaron Rodgers if they don't have one of the other two or three guys that are better than Aaron, that 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 are debatably at his level, or maybe three or four guys that are just below his level. Everybody else should be in the market, but Denver has been the one most talked about because they need a quarterback and they're a decent team and they're in the AFC. Um, I don't know, man. This is a weird thing, you know, and by, oh, I know what I wanted to, I wanted to respond to what you said, because I, maybe this is going to be another one of those rare days where we agree um, on things. I guess if it's all about what the Packers did a year ago, not telling him and then trading up and drafting his eventual, or at least the point was to draft his eventual successor, get over it. Yes, it's 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 really not the worst thing that any that an employer has ever done to an employee. Now, I do understand that like this year alone, you know, Andy Dalton was consulted before the Bears drafted Justin Fields. He just got there. Kirk Cousins was consulted and told that they were going to try to draft a quarterback and they drafted Kellen Mond. They should have gone to Aaron Rodgers. 
You know, it for those of you that are hard asses and you're like, look, there's an organizational chart, and he he's not the CEO, he's not the team president, he's not the general manager. They get to do they have a job responsibility, they don't have to include him. No, they don't have to, but they should have. Just like in any, you know, organization, if you are making a big hire and let's just say it's in the sales area of your company and you've got a star salesman, you know, and he or she is, you know, generating 50% of the revenue in your company and you're going to make a big hire. Yeah, I think you'd probably want to go to that person and say, hey, I'd like you like you to join a meeting tomorrow with, you know, a person that we're p- potentially going to hire as the COO of the company, as the chief operating officer of the company. Would love to get your opinion. You know, it's, it's what they didn't do with Deshaun Watson, and he doesn't deserve it nearly as much, clearly, um, uh, as Aaron Rodgers. But it would have been the smart move. But, yeah, like, uh, okay, they fucked up. Did they apologize? They should sort of apologize and say, we really should have included you. But if they did or if they, you know, made some sort of overture to try to make things right, uh, yeah, it's time to get over it. Yeah. It's not the worst, like you said, it's not the, the worst grievance. That, and, and you can control. You can, you can have your revenge by keeping that guy on the bench. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... It was stupid, though, that they did what they did. Yes, it was. I mean, it's not the way I would do business. Yeah, not in, not in, not in that sport with those kinds of egos where you do have one player that essentially is the face of your franchise, but more importantly, you know, the, the guy that, that influences the outcome more than anybody else in your franchise. So Yeah, it's a smart business to... to uh, you know, make that guy feel like he's a part of of the power structure, even if he isn't. Yeah, um, and you know, and then and then really, what they did. Mark Murphy's been pretty stupid in his public comments over the summer too. I mean, he which is really stunning. Mark Murphy was was a, a labor leader. Yes. Uh, in the in the NFL Players Association, right? I, he was a player advocate. It's just so amazing that he's done this. Yeah, the Packers, by the way, uh, they report. Hmm, where is it? I had it here a second ago, and now I don't have it. Um, I'll find it. Uh, anyway, uh, there you go. That's the latest on Aaron Rodgers. By the way, there was also another story this morning from the NFL. Um, it's not, you know, a massive story, but it's one of my, you know, it's one of my favorite young running backs in the league. Rams running back Cam Akers ruptured his Achilles while working out and he's out for the upcoming season. You know, I really think, uh, Akers, first of all, had a really good playoff game at Lambeau, um, uh, last year in that in that game where the Rams were actually legitimately in that game. I, did, I never thought they were going to win the game necessarily, um, but Akers was really good in that game. Um, and uh, the you know the Rams with Matt Stafford and you know and that defense, they're considered to be you know a legitimate Super Bowl contender this year. And yes. and and I think Acres was going to be a big part of what the Rams did this year. And I'm trying to think of who they have behind him. They've got the kid, 
um, the that played with Antonio Gibson at Memphis, uh, Henderson. Um, but I don't know who else they have. Uh, that's a big loss for the Rams. Big loss for them. Uh, they love Sean loves to run the football, loves to be balanced. Stafford having a running game will really help. And them losing Acres for the for the season uh, is a big loss. All right, um, we've got Ryan Fitzpatrick um, stuff to get to. We have Wes Unsell Jr. and something Ted Leonsis said uh, in his press conference when they introduced Wes Unsell Jr. yesterday. I had Tommy Shepard, uh, Tommy Lavero. I had Tommy Shepard on the show today, the radio show. He was great. Uh, he's really I like Tommy a lot. Um, I like and, Tommy a lot, too. And so uh, you can go listen to that on the team, 980.com. Just want to remind everybody to subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't subscribed, um, it doesn't cost you anything. And then rate us and review us when you get a chance. Um, uh, somebody sent me a lot of recent reviews and ratings, and I really, really appreciate it. Even those of you who had... Um, not the nicest things to say, um, but really it helps us if you rate it at five stars and you write up a, a one or two sentence thing. Um, and if it's going to be negative, I'd prefer that you not do it. Um, but um, you're listening to the show, so it's your right to weigh in uh, that way uh, as well. But it does help us if you rate us and review us on Apple and on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to a podcast where it gives you that opportunity. By the way, somebody mentioned to me the other day that they couldn't do it, and I said, look, one of the easiest ways to do it if you haven't done it is to unsubscribe and then subscribe again um, from scratch, and then they offer that rating and review opportunity right when you subscribe. So if you're already a subscriber and you didn't do it originally, um, maybe quickly unsubscribe and then subscribe again and it'll pop up and you can rate us and review us again um, if you've not done it. If you've already done it, don't do that. Um, you're you're good to go. Uh, are you feeling all right? You said you had a cold for the first time in a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, a couple of years ago uh, in August, I think it was 2018, uh, I had a really bad summer cold that developed into a terrible cough and ultimately bronchitis. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and I wound up in the hospital for a couple of days. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of freaking out here because I'm supposed to go to the beach uh, Wednesday for 10 days. Uh, and since Saturday, I've had this cold, but I seem to be holding it off. It doesn't seem to be getting any worse. I'm able to function. It's, it's not really slowing me down at all, but uh, it's just worrisome at, at this point. And I'm hoping, you know, that I'm fighting it off enough that I'll get through the tail end of it okay. But uh, it was just a little bit unnerving to be sick in the COVID era. This is the first time I've been sick at all in the era of COVID. So, and one of the things, I, I was sneezing a lot. And, well, the worst thing you can do is go online and, and look for Look for medical advice. You know, oh, it's, it's, of it's horrible. Of course. I mean, it's terrible. You know? You so did that? I found that. Well, I did. And apparently when you're vaccinated, if you get COVID, sometimes sneezing a lot is a symptom of having COVID. And I'm fully vaccinated with the Moderna vaccine. Doesn't mean you can't so, get uh, it. 
Right. It doesn't mean I can't get it. Uh, but I kept saying to myself, you know, 90%, you know, uh, success rate on this thing. You know, I mean, I don't win, I don't buy, I don't win a lottery when I buy a lottery ticket. Why do I think I'll be the guy that will win the COVID lottery in this case? But still, I went to CVS and I bought a COVID rapid test. And I did that at home. And it came up negative. Do you know? So that was a, a bit of relief, not just for me, but for the people I'll be in touch with for the next uh, few days. Do you know, I didn't, when you said you got a rapid test, it was, you, it was a self-rapid test? Yes. Self-rapid test, it's amazing that, you know, they give you the swab that you have to put up in your nose, uh, and they have some liquid that you, you mix in a jar with it, and then you put a couple of drops in that jar into a, like, a flat uh, container uh, that's right next to your phone. First, you have to do, connect with an app on your phone right. to them. And then you put this right next to your phone, so it's there's a connection. Sure. And and then it, they take 15 minutes to test it until you get the result. Wow. And they literally do a countdown, and then at the end of 15 minutes, negative pops up. End of 15 minutes, you're pregnant. Um, yes. All right. Well, that I'm, kind of thing is a lot like that. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you are not, uh, uh, you know, the good news, of course, if you, you know, if you've been fully vaccinated is that even if you get COVID, the chances of getting, you know, severely ill, um, are even reduced from the odds, which were long shot, you know, before, if you're fully vaccinated, I, I, I forget, we did talk about Bradley Beal in the Olympics, right? We've already talked about about that together. About how how dumb he is. He's, you know what? He's stupid enough to play for the Washington football team. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I one of the. I asked Tommy Shepard. I said, you know, how's Brad doing? And he said he's doing great. No symptoms. You know, that's you know that that's great news. And I just said, I asked him. I said, was he vaccinated or not? I, obviously, I think we all know he wasn't vaccinated. But you know, he, I didn't think he'd answer the question, and he didn't. Um, it's a privacy thing, but. It's still amazing to me, and I said this to you last week, that they went down the path of putting an unvaccinated player on this team. It's, it's, I'm it's, sure he's not the only one. Well, it's stupid because it could cost them. You know, it's the same conversation. A lot of, there are a lot of athletes I've read about who are competing over in Japan, who are going to compete in Japan. Mm-hmm. Let's not speak too soon. Uh, who are going to compete in Japan say they haven't been vaccinated because they worry that the, their, their logic was that the side effects from the vaccination could mess them up. Well, if they got As opposed it. to the COVID messing them up. You know, <laughs> COVID just knocking them out of the games, totally. Look, n- none of those people, you know, the, the odds of any of those athletes getting sick, even if they get COVID, are such a long shot. Everybody understands that. That's not the point. The point is you're on a team um, and you're participating and it hurts the team if you end up, you know, uh, getting booted because you either test positive or you're in contact tracing. So it's just it doesn't make any sense to me why this is um, 
not an obvious thing if you're part of a team. But apparently it isn't. We, you know, witness the rates of the Washington football team in terms of their vaccination rates. All right. Um, yeah, which is reportedly below 50%. It was as of last week. Uh, you, maybe and, it's changed. Uh, you mentioned the Cowboys who are reporting for camp. Yeah. When? Tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. Uh, a source says nearly 70% of Cowboys players are fully vaccinated, according to the Dallas Morning News. Right. So the Cowboys seem to have gotten a message. Well, okay. there are 13 teams that have reached the 85% NFL threshold, which is what they want. Um, and then and the, Cow- the Cowboys are not one of them. And then there are just two teams. This was the Associated Press reporting from last week, which now you know might be updated significantly if people have gotten fully. You know, may- uh, that could have been you know not fully vaccinated or still one shot left. Who knows what the status is now? But as of a week ago, the point being, there are only two teams that were below fifty percent, and the the average for the league was roughly seventy three percent. So there you go. Um, All right. We have some things to get to. Uh, I want to talk about um, the introduction of Wes Unsell Jr. and something that Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Washington Wizards, said. Also, Ryan Fitzpatrick was on a podcast yesterday. Um, He's really optimistic about the season to come, and I think he confirmed something for the first time. We'll get to those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yesterday, the Wizards held a press conference to introduce Wes Unsell Jr. as their next head coach. Um, again, I had Tommy Shepard on the show this morning. He told me a couple of things, which I will weave in to this conversation. But I wanted to start with the owner of the Washington Wiz- Wizards, Ted Leonsis, and a comment he made during the introduction um, of Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, here's the quote, Tommy. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing, but you'll pick up very quickly the important part of it. He says, quote, What I'll say is that the NBA is in great, great hands. Every single person that we met and talked to was outstanding. And you've seen that a lot of assistant coaches are taking the next step, especially this summer. I think there's a reason for that. This is a very, very demanding job. And sometimes when you're a head coach, a second and third time head coach, I don't think you work as hard. 
I think you rely on your assistant coaches. And what I found with interviews, especially in talking with Wes, how they do the game planning, they know the players, they know the tendencies, and they have to work really, really, really work hard to prepare for each and every game. I looked at our team and there were times when I thought we lost games that we shouldn't have lost. Yes, defensively, uh, meaning defensively as in we were bad defensively, but I just think having a work ethic and a demanding style will be a really, really good point of differentiation for us. Players all in the exit interviews, when we talked to them about what we were lacking and how we can improve, they talked about the little things. They talked about defensive intensity. They talked about communications. We talked to Wes, what's the key to have better defense? It's hard work, game planning, communications, and we watched some film together. It's really fascinating in talking to the assistant coaches, the iron detail where everyone is positioned on the floor and what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong. And that's what we want want to be known for we'd like to have great talent we'd, we'd like to have great talent but we'd we'd have to have great organization that's very professional very thorough and demands the best out of everyone in the organization closed quote uh that sound you hear is in is the bus rolling over scott brooks and him yeah. just sitting there going what did i do um well apparently you didn't work very hard uh, work ethic, Tommy, and demanding style. And, you know, coaches and their head coaches in their second and third time, they just don't work as hard. Wow. I actually asked Tommy Shepard about this, and he said, well, I didn't really hear. Uh, that's not what I took from what Ted said. Well, of course, he's you know going to protect his owner. That is, that's quite the shot at, at, at an outgoing, at your, your coach that you, that you went out and hired and paid $7 million a year for for five years. And what you just learned, that he doesn't have a great work ethic? You just learned that he doesn't have a demanding style? You just learned that you know guys that come in for their second or third time as a head coach don't work as hard? You just learned from the player exit interviews that there was communication issues? Which, by the way, I think the players were probably talking specifically about communicating and talking on defense. For those of you that know basketball a little bit, you play defense low, you play it with your feet, and you talk on defense. But anyway, um, what took so long? I'll tell you what took so long, Tommy. They weren't going to just pay two coaches simultaneously. They were going to let this contract run out. Not when they were paying... Now that they were paying $7 million here, I'm sure Ted probably thought, you know, for what I got for my $35 million, I'm entitled to a pound of flesh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, That's it's what a, you it's... probably thought. I, I paid $35 million, and look what I got to show for it. I'm taking my shot. Uh, just think, if he paid 70 he could have gotten two pounds worth of flesh. Um <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, you know, the thing is, is that's fine if if you really if you really are serious about that. I don't know that you are. Um, that thirty five million dollars later, you're you're entitled a shot or two at the outgoing guy, but you're also, you know, basically you're 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 criticizing yourself. You're bringing criticism on yourself for not doing something about it earlier, for not noticing it earlier. 
Um, you mean he didn't notice it when he was sitting on the bench right next to them? I mean, he's he right there. Aware of this? He's right there every game. There's not one owner in sports that is closer to the action than Ted is with his basketball team. Mark Cuban is a row or two rows behind. The guy in Atlanta, the Falcons, Arthur Blank, comes down and hangs around on the sidelines, usually in the second half. Ted sits on his team's bench every night for every game. So, do you know, that just reminded me that I, I'm i going to ask Scott at some point. I'm going to say, be honest with me. What was it like to coach a basketball team and have the owner of that team sitting on your bench hearing every single thing that you say and how you coach and being right there in it with you? I can't imagine that he loved it. But then again, if he was just sort of go along to get along for $7 million a year and didn't really work that hard and, and you know, has... Um, you know, not a demanding style or a great work ethic. Maybe he didn't care. Well, you know, I mean, that would totally conflict with what uh, his star player, Russell Westbrook, said about Scott Brooks. What, what did he uh, say? Russell I... Westbrook ra- well, raves about Scott Brooks. Right. What a great coach he was. Yeah. You know, so the owner is in direct conflict with uh, his team leader in terms of uh, what Scott Brooks gave to the team. It's, it's, you know, this idea, and fans have it too, that you can work harder to succeed. I mean, this is, I understand like in a lot of, a lot of avenues of life, that is true, but sometimes the other guy is better than you, you know, and you can work harder, as much harder as you want, as hard as you can, and it's still not going to be enough. This is why, to really complicate this, <laughs> such a I'm going to go down the road here and say, this is why God is so popular among athletes, because he explains the unexplainable. I mean, athletes need to know, I worked so hard. I did everything I had to do. I worked. Nobody outworked me, and I still didn't win. There's got to be a reason. You know? So you can't outwork. It's not always just a matter of, Outworking the other guy, and uh, to be honest with you, I, you know, I, I don't know. You have you didn't read my column, right? No, I no, didn't. Of course not. You, you say it with the proper <laughs> level of contrite. I might uh, contriteness. Well, I might want to point out. I, that's, I, I, that's, I know. That's, I know. I, I know. You sent it to me, and I when you said it, I'm like, oh damn it, I forgot to read it. Sorry. Well, that's okay. You you addressed it correctly right there. I could address. I, I could, I, I, I could I, literally I, read it right now as we're sitting here. That's how easily consumable your columns are. Well, it's interesting because I talked to Matt Williams, uh, who was the PR guy for the Wizards and Bullets for years, right. and who was very close to the Unsell family uh, about West Junior, and because West Junior interned for him in the PR department many years ago. Uh, before he, you know, went, went, wound up being an assistant coach. And uh, one of the things Matt Williams pointed out, and you heard this in the Washington Post story by Michael Lee, who talked to people who had worked with Wes as an assistant coach, was his work ethic. So, I mean, that is a common theme yeah. with Wes Unsell Jr. It is. It's, I mean, it's, it's work ethic. I mean, that's probably legitimate. And, you know, people have different ideas of how hard you should work and stuff. But 
but to to basically say to coach that you know that you just paid thirty five million dollars but didn't work hard enough, you're right. It's an indictment on you. Yeah, I um everything that I've heard about Wes Unsell Jr. is incredibly positive. Okay, but you know I'll yes. I'll I'll net it out. First of all, while I liked Scott Brooks personally, and everybody that got to know him did. Um, you know, a lot of the same stuff that I said about him at Oklahoma City, I said over the last few years. I just, it's n- a coach that has no plan offensively or defensively when the game's on the line or when the game slows down and you see a team that's totally unstructured and relies just on players to make plays. I can't stand that. It's just not my cup of tea. I don't like the teams that are near the top of the league in iso ball, especially when you don't have like Kevin Durant and James Harden as your iso players. So um, I, you know, I've never thought Scott Brooks was a great coach. I think that his strength was, you know, being a guy that players sort of liked playing for because he wasn't that demanding. Probably more than anything else. You know, there were things that I thought Scott Brooks did well. I thought always they had something coming out of a timeout that was planned and a little bit more structured and they executed a lot. But, you know, uh, that team this year, for people to get all excited about this team that made the postseason and, you know, when you saw that series against Philadelphia and Joel Embiid doesn't even play in the fifth and deciding game and they get their ass kicked, um, they're so far away um, from a title, you know, they're two years away from being two years away from a title, Tommy, that old saying. And the the only thing that changes that is a superstar top five player. And we've seen that in the NBA over and over again. If you don't have an obvious top five player, you're not going to win the NBA championship. The last team to do it was the 2004 Pistons. And maybe late tonight, um, you know, we will see another, you know, top five player win a title because Giannis is a top five player in the league. And the Wizards don't have one. They don't have one that they don't even have a guy that's close. Bradley Beal's not close to top five. He's top 15-ish. You know, if you want to push him close to 10, do it. I'm not. Um, I mentioned this yesterday on the radio show. I don't think I did on the podcast. Damian Lillard once, you know, there was this report last week, which he refuted, but for a moment there was, you know, uh, it was out there that he wanted to be traded. Now he doesn't want to get traded here because for whatever reason, nobody wants to get traded here, but it's like when Kawhi Leonard became available, Tommy, you know, via trade before the one year. And I said, I would trade the entire franchise for Kawhi Leonard, and I was serious about it. If Damian Lillard's available, I would essentially trade everybody but Beal. And I'd like to keep Hachimura as well and Gafford, but I would take Russell Westbrook and the next three years of every draft choice I have and a couple of other players and throw it together and send it to Portland for Damian Lillard. Because Lillard and Beal, you still don't have a top five player, But then with Hachimura, if he continues to develop, you have a team that could be a legitimate top four kind of a team. And look, Shepard said this to me this morning because I said, look, bottom line is right. Your NBA coaches just can't influence the outcome like the players can. And he said, no, it's a player's league. But if you have good players, a good coach can take you from that, you know, 
48 to 55 or from that 53 to 60 wins a year and put you in the mix with a really good coach. Um, God, I would love, I would love to see Damian Lillard here. And, and you know what? That would take a lot of pressure off Beal as well. Not that he doesn't need, he doesn't excel with some of the pressure, the scoring pressure. I think he's done great with that, but for whatever reason, Washington's never a place, Tommy, anybody wants to come to. And that is simply because of the franchise. It's not the city. It's not. This is a major market. Uh, it's an attractive place to live, particularly if you're a young African-American athlete. Okay, so this is not, it's not Indianapolis or anything like that. It's not the city. It's, it's, the, it's the history of the franchise and the first thing, and, and what people think of is losing team, losing organization, you know, don't want any, you know, a half-assed operation, and they don't want anything to do with it. And it's going to take years to overcome that. I mean, Ted's wasted the first 10 years of his ownership uh, not changing that at all. You know, he has not, he, he did not change the culture in his first 10 years of ownership. Yeah, you know, and the irony of that is he took ownership of the Capitals so that he could get ownership of the Wizards. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Ted's first love is basketball. You know, he's a Brooklyn guy. He loves basketball. I mean, obviously, he's come to love hockey, and he's you know they, they got at, they got Ovechkin. You know, th- this is another conversation for another day because the truth is we've already had this conversation in previous days. But every owner in this town gets an incredible break with Dan Snyder in this town as an owner because nobody, nobody looks every, or let me rephrase, everybody looks like a superstar when placed next to Snyder. And Ted's not a superstar owner. He's not. Um, He's not a bad owner, and he's a better owner than Dan. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. But he's gotten a free pass, and they won the Stanley Cup, you know, and and that's huge. And he's always had a product that's great for customers um, in terms of the live product, you know, fine. The NBA thing has been a disaster, Um, too much so. And the fact that he was in there watching film with Wes Unsell Jr. doesn't really uh, make me – like confident, uh, but I am confident in Tommy Shepard. I think Tommy well, really say, knows ball. You know, he didn't say what film they were watching. They could have been watching The Godfather. Could have. Um, he didn't say basketball film. Yeah. I'll tell you what, no. though. If you, you, Tommy did tell me, so I, I told you I'd weave a couple of things in from the conversation. Let me just real quickly mention: they interviewed eighteen candidates initially. Eighteen. Um, all by Zoom, and then they started to bring in, you know, the people that they liked for for live meetings. They did not interview Becky Hammond, um, and they did interview other female candidates, but he wouldn't tell me who they were. So they, um, uh, what else was it? You know, he, he. I I tend to think I tend to think that Becky Hammond's going to be the next head coach for the San. I think that's probably for... right. I think that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, I think that's that's what's going to happen there. And for all the people they interviewed, there were eight NBA coaching vacancies at the end of the season. Wes got the last job that was open. 
Yeah, I okay. asked him, I said, did you ever feel like by, you know, this deliberative process, this lengthy process that you could potentially lose? You know, he said, no, the, our candidate pool was so deep. We were going to get, you know, he was our he was our guy. And I said, when did you really realize it? Thinking that he might say, oh, pretty much the first time we, we met him. Well, why didn't you just hire him right away then? He said they really came to the conclusion it was, you know, on Saturday that Wes Jr. was the guy. I don't know anything about Wes Jr. as a coach. He's apparently a very good tactician defensively. From Malone's teams in Denver, he was the defensive guy. They improved significantly on defense when he took that over. Um, you know, they, Denver's got better players than the Wizards have, too. Let's not forget that. You know, they've got a guy I wish put- him all. I wish him all the luck in the world. From, what, from everything I've heard about him, look, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing because his father was a rival of the team that I rooted for, the and you, Knicks. And yet you loved him. And I loved Wes Hunter. I know you did. Loved him. Right. And 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 not just the way not just the way he played, but but his whole demeanor, you know. I mean, his his work ethic was was legendary. So I wish nothing but but good things for West Junior. Oh, me too. Uh, me too. I mean. I certainly remember Wes Unseld, and I remember those Bullets teams so fondly and went to so many of those games. And Wes was basically, as a player, um, he was the badass in the NBA. He may have been the most feared man in the NBA if Maurice Lucas wasn't. Would you say that that's right? The two of them. That's pretty accurate. And, That's pretty accurate. But it wasn't because he was demonstrative or because he was dirty. He set the he set the most physical pick. He was the most physical player, and there was just um, there was a calmness about him as he played too. He was a great great player. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to get into this, but I still think Elvin Hayes is probably the greatest player in franchise history. But I think Wes Unseld's the all time face of the franchise. Um, if Abe Poland isn't. Um, okay, uh, let's get to this Ryan Fitzpatrick stuff right after these words from a few of our sponsors. So Ryan Fitzpatrick yesterday did um, Pablo Torre's ESPN The Daily podcast. And he was He's asked... one of their big stars, pa- Pablo Torre. Is he? Are you being serious? I think so. Okay. No, he is. I mean, he used to be on the, the Levitard show, uh, you know, uh, whatever that was, highly questionable. Uh, and I think he's a, been a regular member on Around the Horn. Uh, so I'm, he's one of the big stars. I'm Googling him to see if I even recognize him. Oh, yeah, I recognize him. Yeah. I recognize him. Um, I would not have... Uh... I would not have suggested that he is one of ESPN's big stars, but I, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, even though probably one of my oldest, closest friends and best friends is one of the, if not you know, the top four or five big names at ESPN, I yes. don't watch a lot of ESPN. I watch games on ESPN, and I watch Scott Sports Center, and occasionally, if I'm in the house and it's on, I'll watch PTI. That's it. Even though I do like Stephen Smith, Stephen A. Smith, I really do. I really like Stephen A. And so, but I'm never ever like I'll have that on here in the studio um, occasionally. 
but it's usually volume down, so I'm not watching it. Anyway, whatever. Uh, let me get to Ryan Fitzpatrick and what he said on the star Pablo Torre ESPN The Daily Podcast. He has the following quote when asked about heading into the 17th se- his 17th season, does he feel that he's finally found the ideal landing spot? And he said, quote, this is the best situation I've ever been in or the best situation that I've ever gone into as the guy. I signed to be the starter in Houston. I signed to be the starter in Miami. So this is now the third team that I've signed to come in and be the starter for. I'm going to stop right there. I believe that this is the first time that either he or somebody like Ron Rivera or Scott Turner in the organization has admitted that he signed here to be the starter. Because, you know, we've heard all this talk about competition and the whole thing. And and he even said, you know, t- took the company line early on about, well, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm here to compete. I'm here to compete. No, he signed a $10 million deal here to be the starter in 2021. And he admitted it here because it was part of an answer he couldn't get out of, I guess, once he started down the path. But I do believe, tr- correct me if I'm wrong, that this is the first time that either side has admitted that. I think you're correct on that. I, I think you're correct on that. And, look, I, I'm always interested, like everybody else, but I know particularly I am, by quarterback intrigue. And and I, I'm sure I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. But I don't understand the Kyle Allen story. I don't either. I, I don't. I, I have no answer to that, unless I mean, unless he was truly limited who... when they were in OTAs and minicamp, and that's why yeah. you know he w- he wasn't top of mind for Ron that's, Rivera. That's got to be that's got to be the reason because this is a guy Rivera traded for. This is a guy who Rivera basically dissed Alex Smith about when he said that Kyle Allen could have done the same thing that Alex Smith did last year. Right. You know, so obviously he thinks very highly of Kyle Allen, and he's not even in the conversation now. Zip. But it's got to be it's got to be his injury. But it's not going to surprise me at all if three weeks from now, because they'll be in training camp a week from now. If three weeks from now, like you know, uh, Ron Rivera gets asked, so tell talk about the quarterbacks. Well, Ryan's really you know taken um, a stranglehold. You know, he's what a leader. He's picked up the offense. I mean, really looks good. And Kyle's really now looking super sharp. He's back. He's totally healthy. And of course, Kyle had the advantage of knowing this offense all along. And Taylor looks good too, man. He's a baller. He's a gamer. (laughs) So we feel really good. Like, it's not going to surprise me if we hear good things about Kyle Allen. Um, Even though I can't explain other than to say that maybe out of sight, out of mind, because he wasn't completely healthy. Although everybody said he was, you know, getting close to being completely healthy. Let me read the rest of the Fitzpatrick quote. So 
He says, this is the best situation I've been in, or at least the best situation that I've ever gone into as the guy. I signed to be the starter in Houston. I signed to be the starter in Miami. So this is now the third team that I've signed to come in and be the starter for. I just feel like the way that I'm playing the last four years, kind of the progression of my career, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that 17 years in, that physically I feel great, mentally, emotionally, but I am in the right spot. I just think I am set up for success this year and really looking forward to it. Now, part of obviously that answer is that, you know, he's already spoken to the weapons that he has, right? You, you read that quote from um, NBC Sports Washington, yes, whatever he did how last explosive week. they're going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's funny because today Bill Barnwell did one of his long, um, exhausting uh, read uh, stories. This one is ranking the teams 1 through 32 in terms of their offensive weapons. You know, it's the best, from the best to the worst offensive arsenals for their quarterbacks. Um, And he writes, you know, this is about only 2021 performance. We're not considering a player's contract status or cap hit or long. We want to field the best possible group of weapons for a 17-game season in 2021. He says wide receivers are weighted more heavily than running backs or tight ends. Um, in this uh, in this uh, research, uh, uh, in deep dive for him, and then he starts to rank them. So obviously, we've heard that Washington has really upgraded their offensive weaponry. You know, they're loaded, Tommy. They got Terry McLaurin. They got Curtis Samuel. Um, they added Adam Humphreys, Deami Brown to go with Antonio Gibson in year two. Logan Thomas. We all know what it is. So where did they come in on the list of teams 1 through 32 in terms of offensive weaponry? They came in 24th. Now last year really? they were last year they were ranked 32nd. Um in in this it, this is a Barnwell thing with, you know, whatever, you know, feedback from people that he's using. Um but they were ranked 24th in offensive weaponry. And what is written here is, quote, there were signs of life around Terry McLaurin last season. At running back, Antonio Gibson was a week one starter and proved to be an effective player despite his lack of experience, averaging 4.7 yards per carry while finishing finishing sixth in the league in DVOA. The other surprising seasons weren't quite as impressive. J.D. McKissick's 80-catch effort was mostly a product of Alex Smith tossing the former Seahawks tailback checkdowns. While Logan Thomas ranked 35th among tight ends in yards per target, they were both more effective in fantasy football than the real thing. All of those players returned to the fold, though. Washington supplemented this group by bringing in Curtis Samuel, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So, um, 24th. Now, in the division, who has a worse um, offensive uh, weaponry um, in the division around their quarterback? Well, the Eagles do. They're ranked 29th, even though they added Devontae Smith in the trade, and they've got Jalen Rager coming back, and they've got Miles Sanders coming back, and they still have a pretty good tight end in Dallas Goddard, um, and we don't know what the status of Zach Ertz is. Uh, he hasn't signed anywhere. Um, where are the Giants and the Cowboys? I think this is interesting. The Giants are eight spots ahead of Washington, the wow. 16th best offensive ar- arsenal in the league. And the Cowboys, the Cowboys' offensive arsenal in the rankings in the NFL, number two behind Tampa Bay. Wow. 
Holy mackerel. C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Zeke Elliott. They got a, They do have a lot of talent offensively. There is no doubt about it. Up front, they've got to be healthy. They weren't healthy last year, and obviously the quarterback is – you know, the, the the reason the division was so bad last year is every single team went through multiple quarterbacks. Um anyway. Uh one well, other- you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick hit the nail on the head in his comments when he said, I know it doesn't make sense that I'm getting better at this stage of my career. Yeah. That's pretty much what he said. Yes. I mean, this is why, uh, while, while you can argue that the numbers would dictate that, that there's a cliff that can show up at any moment, and I think the odds, as every day passes by, as Ryan Fitzpatrick gets older day by day, that that cliff is getting closer and closer. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah. I just think that I mean, the, he I think logically said that he's a Harvard guy, so he's not stupid. He knows it doesn't make much sense. I know, but it's but it's true. He's played his best football here over the last couple. of I years. I know that. I know he has. You know, and things are weird in the NFL these days. Guys playing <laughs> older, and Brady winning the Super Bowl at forty three, and you know, hell, Kurt Warner was right there at forty, and he started late. Um, uh there was one other thing that I wanted to just share with everybody because somebody sent this to me and um, in reading his uh, Barnwell's thing, it just reminded me of it. Um, basically, um, Seth Walder, who does all of the analytics for ESPN and ESPN.com, um, somebody sent me the link to this. The top, so they, they have a study, it's a next-gen stats. Uh, it's a next-gen stat. Last year, the percentage of throws short of the sticks on third down, okay? So what percentage of the quarterback's throws were short of the sticks on third down? Alex Smith had the highest number, 80% of his throws (laughs) on third down were short of the sticks. The next worst, or the next most, if you will, short of the sticks, was Teddy Bridgewater at 63%. Alex Smith's number was so outrageously high, it was almost unbelievable. Now, the lowest in the league, or the highest of, of, uh, the lowest of throws short of the sticks, meaning they threw beyond the sticks more often than not, Mahomes was one, and Fitzpatrick was two. So the takeaway here, first of all, just so you know, this would be my belief. I, I'd like to know what the, the average third down short of the stick throw for the guys that did it often versus those. I mean, Kansas City doesn't have a lot of third and longs. So they've got third and makeables. It's a lot easier to throw beyond the beyond the sticks. The you know, the Panthers and the Skins offensively last year weren't good teams. So they were in third and long a lot. A lot of times third and long is a bubble screen. A lot of times third and long is, you know, it would throw the check down and see if we can get six yards and punt. Um but to be fair, Alex Smith, they created a stat at Pro Football Focus um, for Alex Smith. It was the Alex Smith check down. Nobody's checked down. And I said this to everybody when they traded for him, even though I was in favor of it. I mean, I remember so many of our fans that only watch our team 
oh, well, at least we got Alex Smith and we're going to throw the ball down the field instead of Kirk, who just throws the check down. No, Kirk doesn't just throw the check down. Kirk's been among the air yards leaders at times. Alex Smith has been the check down king. And look, he couldn't create last year because he wasn't as mobile and they weren't very good offensively. But they do have a quarterback right now that does take more risks, that throws tight window throws, that will take, you know, uh, uh, a, a third and 12 and give his receiver a chance. And who, by the way, also creates more off schedule than Alex Smith could last year or even in, you know, 2018, he was still had some mobility. But I, I thought that those numbers um, were, um, again, it's a little bit, it could be deceiving. 80% is too high for anything to be that deceiving. But, you know, you need to know what the average distance on third down was before you really understand what those numbers mean. But I think by watching these quarterbacks over the years, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick has some, you know, let's just throw it down the field and see what happens in him. And Alex Smith did not, um, ever. Uh, and, you know, it was a bad offensive team around Alex Smith, to be fair, last year as well. Okay, um, last thing on the show, unless you have something. Did you see this Peyton Manning, Eli Manning story, Tommy? That they're going to do the Monday night football broadcast on ESPN2 <laughs> for some of the games? Yeah. Ten games well, a year. Well, who's going to watch... Well, who's going to watch ESPN when these two guys are doing it on ESPN, too? All right. So this is interesting to me. Um, uh, For those that don't know, um, there was an announcement yesterday by ESPN that Peyton Manning and Eli Manning are going to call Monday night football games for ESPN 2. Remember, ESPN has the Monday Night Football property, and it it is broadcast on ESPN with Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick and Lisa Salters as the team, the main team. Last year was their first year together. I thought they were okay. I thought it was a big improvement from Tessitor and Witten and Booger McFarlane. Actually, I didn't mind Booger that much. Um, Witten was terrible, and I'm just not a Tessitor guy. I never have been. I think Steve Levy's fine. He's solid. It was just okay. It was just okay. And, you know, it's another example of a broadcast team where if the game's a good game I'm going to watch, I'm certainly not going to watch because of the broadcast team. And I think that's a lot of NFL games now um, for the most part. So um, Eli and Peyton Manning are going to be a part of what they're going to call Monday Night Football Megacast. If you've watched the college football, NCAA college football championship game, you know, every January on that Monday night, like every ESPN outlet has a different way to watch the game. They've got a stat cast. They've got a coach's roundtable. They've got the radio announcers from one team and the radio announcers from the other team. And then you've got the normal broadcast, which is Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit calling the national championship game on ESPN. So they are adding to Monday Night Football another distribution of the game through ESPN2. Both Peyton and Eli Manning will not be at the games. They will be calling these games from a remote location. And right now, the plan is to have what they call a host 
not a play-by-play guy. They're calling it a host. Round out the you know the off-site booth, if you will. So to your initial response, mine was that, like, no way am I watching the ESPN broadcast. I'm going to watch Peyton and Eli. And then number two is, well, who's going to be there with them? Who's going to be there calling the game? Who's the play-by-play guy? Well, they're actually referring to this person as a host. I think that person's going to be very important. I think that person will be important and who they pick will be important. Um, they're only going to do 10 of the 17 Monday night games. I don't know why. 30 are scheduled over the next 30 years. The bottom line is Peyton Manning is wildly popular. You know, the Peyton Place thing that he did for ESPN Plus, wildly popular for um, that uh, for the ESPN Plus property. Um, Peyton has been offered, Tommy, how many of these jobs since he retired? He could have had any one of these chairs. Any one of them, yeah. So any job he wanted. So you, it's not even close for you. You will tune into ESPN too, right? I mean, I find I, I agree with you one hundred percent on this. I find the ESPN crew, uh, and, and sometimes I, I don't. I'm not a big Booger McFarlane fan. Ever since he shit all over himself raising Bruce Allen. Uh, oh, yeah. when they were here, right. uh, you know, doing a, a Washington football game. Uh, but well, He's not uh, on the broadcast crew, anymore. Right. This crew doesn't offend me. I mean, they, they, they don't make a difference in how I watch it, when I watch it, you know. Uh, but I'd go out of my way to watch Peyton and, and Eli. You know, maybe there'll be a bust, but Peyton just seems, Peyton seems like a natural for, for this kind of stuff. It'll be interesting to see how they do it. You know, is, are they going to call the game conventionally with a play-by-play guy and these are the two analysts, or is it going to be like we've seen, you know, during the college championship game, sort of a roundtable table discussion, like the two of them are sitting there watching the game together and they're having a conversation and we're eavesdropping essentially on their conversation about the game. Um, you know, I don't know what the format will be. I think there are a couple of interesting things. Number one is that um, I've always been curious as to why Peyton Manning hasn't taken one of these big jobs. I've suggested, I think, to you in the past that, you know, he could be one of these people that just is so self-aware and he knows that in a 30-second or 60-second commercial that's scripted and rehearsed and edited that he's great and he's funny and he's self-deprecating and he comes off as geniusly funny. Um, Not geniusly funny, but funny. And maybe in a live setting, he doesn't feel as confident about, you know, how he'll be perceived. You know, maybe he likes the scripted recorded more than the live. Um, I don't know. I mean, certainly he he rose to every single live occasion he, that he ever had in life as a football player. Um, but I, I think it's odd that he hasn't just taken a normal analyst chair. I think that the second thing is, yeah, I'm going to I'm certainly going to watch on ESPN, too. 
the ESPN broadcast just doesn't do enough for me, and there isn't a hook there to keep me there. They're they're obviously you know competing um, with one another, um, you know, but they own the product. It's, it doesn't matter if the rating comes from two or from ESPN. It'll, it'll be a combined, I think, overall rating that they'll benefit from. So this is going to benefit them. I do think, however, these things are always overrated when you initially say, well, nobody's going to watch ESPN. That's not going to happen, you know, because whenever the college football game has had all of these other things going, the other things barely even get any, you know, nobody watches the other things. It's such a small number. Now, this is different because it's Peyton Manning, and I have no idea if Peyton or if Eli will be any good, um, but people are certainly going to give it a chance. And to be fair, Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick are no Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet. That's a first-rate team, Fowler and Herbstreet, whatever they do. So I think ESPN2 is going to get a big number. I would bet you that it doesn't trump or beat the ESPN number, at least early on, unless it turns out that Peyton and Eli are phenomenal and it just sort of becomes something of a buzz and everybody's got to watch it. You know, it becomes like Barkley on the TNT pregame show. I think it'll beat them. I mean, it's still – it's not – Network versus cable. No, it's cable. It's just another cable channel. It is. I, I think it, you know it's it's not that difficult to watch ESPN two as opposed to ESPN. Uh, so I think it will bump those numbers. And uh, I'm wondering if ESPN just said to Peyton, "Tell us whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, and we'll do it." Uh, Because Peyton probably doesn't want to travel, doesn't want the weekly travel that comes with the job. That that seems to be the case. Uh, If if you base this on the fact that they're doing this from a studio and not from the actual location of the games, which is worrisome because this is the way that business is going. One of the things about COVID is it woke up broadcasters to the idea that we don't have to send out broadcasters on the road to get away with doing uh, play-by-play. And this is going to be a, this is a problem uh, within the industry, but neither here nor there. I just think that ESPN just said, okay, we can't convince you to come on Monday Night Football. Tell us, tell us what, would, what you would like to do, and we'll figure out a way to do it. They're doing only 10 games a year. I don't know the reason for that, um, 10 out of the 17. They are doing the first three of the season. Um, they're doing the opening Monday night game of the year, which is Baltimore at Vegas. They're doing the second uh, game of the year, which is Detroit at Green Bay. And they're doing the third uh, Monday night game of the year, which is Philly at Dallas. So 10 out of the 17 a year. Um, you know, it just I know you, you actually follow this probably even more closely or closer than I do. Um, Viewing habits have changed so much, and you know, they're, the networks um, and what they're getting for their primetime programming from advertisers is just you know a shell of what it used to be because of the way people are consuming media. But there's still one thing left that works on traditional television, you know, whether it's traditional bro- over the air broadcast or even cable, and that is live sports. And it's, I, it's what's keeping. It's keeping TV alive, traditional TV alive, to be honest with you. Yeah, it really is. 
It really is. Without live sports and really the NFL as much as anything, yes. Um, yes. you know, the, 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 uh, these networks would be in big trouble. Like, you, you have to have the, the NFL. Amazon doesn't need to have the NFL. Netflix doesn't need to have the NFL. But CBS, Fox, um, ABC, NBC need to have the NFL pretty much. Or they've got to have a lot yeah. of live sports programming. Uh, anything else? Did I forget anything for the day? I got nothing else for you, boss. Okay. Um, I think that's it for the day. Uh, back tomorrow, and have a great day. Tommy, feel better.